Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's February 10th, 1940. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. A cartoon mouse battling with a cartoon cat from this vantage point seems like a trope as old as time. But actually it dates back roughly as far as today in history in 1940, when the first Tom and Jerry cartoon, Puss Gets the Boot, was released. But the cat in question was named Jasper, and the mouse was nicknamed at least Jinx. And the boss of the studio thought the whole thing was a terrible idea and very nearly cancelled it before it got off the ground. Yeah, the mouse was even called Pee-wee on the poster. So they hadn't even decided when they were marketing the short what the characters were called. And I think that speaks to the fact that at MGM, this was just yet another bet on short animation. You know, Disney and Warners were absolutely winning this race and they wanted... They wanted a series of their own, but this was just, you know, one of many attempts and this one worked. You know, you say that it seems an obvious thing to do a cat and mouse. It had been done before... It's just that this was, frankly, the best cat and mouse cartoon anyone had ever seen. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't be bothered to name the mouse, but they did find time to give the African-American maid a Denimming nickname. Um, we'll come, probably come back to that later. But the reason that Joseph Barbera and William Hanna had come up with Tom and Jerry, although they hadn't come up with them under his names, was that they were working for MGM's new in-house animation team. And the head of MGM, Louis B. Meyer, knew that it was going to need stars to compete with the likes of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. Because before then, most cartoons, and keeping in mind that this is a time when cartoons were mostly something you saw at the cinema before the movie. Most of them were standalone stories with one-off characters. But through the 1930s, Warner Brothers and Walt Disney had started introducing popular recurring characters and MGM just hadn't been able to compete. They tried with um, a character called Flip the Frog. They tried with a character called Willy Whopper, but none Can't of them imagine why really that never took on. off in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact the reaction to the names tells us that those did not become classic cartoon characters. And so he basically put out a call to the animators saying, look, we need to create some characters that have got legs. He wanted equal characters who were always in conflict with each other, which seems pretty loose to me. And in fact, in the, in the sort of early imaginings, they had this idea that it might involve a fox and a dog before they settled on a cat and a mouse. <laughs> yeah, but that's because the cat and mouse thing was a cliche. That was what I was referring to. But but the thing is, it requires no setup, which actually, yes. when you think about it, is the genius of if you're going to have a slapstick chase based cartoon series, make it so the audience know what's going to happen from day one. Like Roadrunner's a bit weird, isn't it? Like, what is that? Is it a dog? Why is he chasing him? Yeah. What's Acme? <laughs> you know, and even these big hit characters, Mickey Mouse, like, 
so he's a mouse, but he owns a dog. There's a lot yeah. of things to explain. <laughs> but with cat and mouse, it's just like, let's get to the funny stuff straight away. And maybe the one thing that they were innovating was this thing that they're talking about, about their equality. I mean, naturally, you would assume that the cat has the upper hand in the, that particular dynamic because it is cats that chase and kill and <laughs> eat mice. I you can know. report that firsthand. On a I can basis. too. My, yeah, <laughs> my cat does terrible things to mice. I've um, never seen a mouse slap my cat around the head with a saucepan ever. No. no, and I think that that is the thing that maybe came as a surprise with this first cartoon, though they really did not have their boss, Fred Quimby, on board. He had greenlit this first episode, but actually he had then, after looking at the finished product and prior to it being um, nominated for a whole lot of awards and so on, he told them to get back to the other shows that they were working on. And so they were sort of, it could have been a one-hit wonder, except for the fact that a Texan businesswoman, Bessa Short, sent a letter to MGM asking whether she could please have more of these cat and mouse shows. It was helpful that she was the owner of a movie theatre, so that gave sort of increasing heft to her query. And that was enough to make MGM brass go, actually, maybe we are onto something. And it was then that they held this competition to (laughs) rename the characters because one thing they did know was that the names weren't right. And the in-house contest was won by an animator called John Carr. And actually, the name pairing Tom and Jerry has really historical roots. It goes back to 1821. They were characters in a best-selling book by an author called Piers Egan. It was called Life in London, or, you know how they used to do those titles, Mm. or a much longer thing, or (laughs) day and night scenes of Jerry Hawthorne Esquire and his elegant friend Corinthian Tom, which is kind of about a couple of young London swells. But then later, that book, which was popular in its time, Gave its name to a punch popularly served at Christmas. It was sort of eggnog and brandy kind of a thing. That was called a Tom and Jerry. And by the 1930s, it was probably better known as a cocktail than as a really, really old book about a world that didn't exist anymore. Is that how the troops came to be known as Tom and Jerry then? Because of the cocktail? Because there was also this thing of like American and British GIs being referred to as Toms and Jerrys, wasn't there? I think... It was one of those things where maybe people didn't even know that it was a cocktail or know that it was a book, but there was just enough floating around in the ether that it sounded like a natural name pairing. Also, Tom and Jerry sounds like rhyming slang when it's a Christmas time mm. cocktail. Like that mm. must have had a sherry component, I can only assume. And also, uh, you know, uh, The Good Life, Tom Good, Jerry Ledbetter. There's just something about it that just fe- obviously feels right. I mean, it's hard for us to tell because we're living in a post Tom and Jerry cartoon <laughs> world. Yeah. <laughs> What they developed is they made more and more of these films. They made over 100 shorts in this original series of Tom and Jerry, winning seven Academy Awards, is wham, bam, violence. Golf clubs, mouse traps, mallets, they feel real pain. Mm. And the reaction shots are clearly influenced by the likes of Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin as much as they are by other cartoons. You think about the Warner's Looney Tunes ones, and they're as much based on wordplay aren't they? And you think about the Disney one and they're, they're kind of kind of worthy and cutesy. Whereas Tom and Jerry was just like, we're going to give you what you want. You're going to, within 10 seconds, you're going to see a cat get smacked in the face. Yeah, although particularly in the early episodes, like no one's getting their face smacked and losing teeth the way that happens in later Tom and Jerry episodes where their heads seem to blow up and all of that stuff that's then goes on to be mocked by Itchy and Scratchy in The Simpsons. But the level of violence is pitched at at a like three-year-old friendly uh, level. And I think that that is part of why it worked across ages and across, like it could be funny for adults and a bit silly for little people. And also it could work completely internationally because no one's saying anything. Yes. 
Exactly. Like there's there's virtually no dialogue. Mm. Unfortunately, the dialogue that there is in this opening episode, as Rebecca alluded to, <laughs> is spoken by Mummy Two Shoes, who is. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because I grew up in an age where that stuff wasn't cut out when I was watching it on telly, and I just mm. I recognised that the housekeeper in Tom and Jerry was black, but I didn't recognise that that was steeped in a heritage of racism. Mm. I was just like, oh, they've got a black. If anything, I probably saw that as like a positive representation of a black person in a cartoon. Well, mm. you know. Was complicated because she was voiced by Lillian Randolph, who was a black screen star, yeah. which was something you know, that's something in an era when it was really common to just have black characters, you know, in cartoons and on the radio played by white guys putting on stupid voices. Yes, but it was obviously the character consisted of stereotypical dialect and there were kind of racial visual gags as well. So it's all rooted in, you know, we we're talking about minstrelsy the other day, it's rooted in minstrelsy tropes, mm. but the thing that is funny in a dark way is that when the cartoons came to TV there was a real this was in the kind of the late 60s early 70s there was a realisation that this wasn't going to cut the mustard anymore but it reminds me of you know um, Agatha Christie she had a book that originally was called Ten Little N-Words mm. and then they were like, well, maybe you should think about renaming it something that's going to stand the test of time better. And she's like, great, 10 little Indians it is. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually it became, and then there were none. Yeah, so yeah. it was a little bit the same of this. They realised, okay, we can't be doing this, you know, really stereotypical black maid anymore. I tell you what, we'll get June Foray, who was a really prominent voice actress, to come in and do a really heavy, stereotypical Irish accent over the top of it. That's not going to upset anyone. <laughs> That's been for the ages. And then, of course, they ended up then redubbing her to just be a generic white-bred woman with no identifying vocal features whatsoever. By the time that they were brought back by Hanna-Barbera Productions in the 1970s, the Tom and Jerry show, as it became known, had almost ditched violence altogether. They were just like two pals working together to solve common problems. The same dynamic was a play in the 1992 movie, Tom and Jerry the movie, which I have just learnt in the last few days is apparently a hated flop. But I remember watching it a bunch of times. Did you have it with your Mr Blobby VHS, Rebecca? (laughs) Yes, it was probably on the same shelf. You know, when you just you never bother looking up these films and then you you realise that apparently everyone thought they were terrible in a desecration of Tom and Jerry. I guess as a kid, you never question why sometimes they're hitting each other with frying pans. Sometimes they're, you know, joining forces to help an orphan. (laughs) That sense of the violence in the show being a bit too much was something that really dogged the production through every single one of its incarnations, though. And as recently as 2016... Salah Abdel Sadek, who's the head of the State Information Service in Egypt, uh, basically criticised the creators of Tom and Jerry cartoons, depicting, quote, violence in a funny manner, which sent the message that, yes, I can hit him and I can blow him up with explosives, which he went went on to say was normalising violence to viewers and was pretty much edging towards like the idea that Tom and Jerry are partially responsible for violence across the Middle East. And you're like, yeah. that's a bit of a stretch. It's really hard to think of a violent atrocity that began before 1940, isn't it? I mean, he's got a really good point there. <laughs> and so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.